Welcome to the Exchange for the Exchange podcast, where we exchange ideas about current events, pop culture, and theology. And live. we are on air, boys. Okay. You are live. For the record, <laughs> Josh Pinnell is laughing. Nikolai Carpathia. <laughs> so gentle. <laughs> wow. I don't even know what Alex is going to say at this point. Welcome to the Exchange podcast. We are broadcasting live, as always. Everything we do is live, boys everything. Boys, we have a lot to get to this morning. We have just jam-packed episode for for our faithful listeners. Uh, I'm going to start off by asking how you guys are doing. Daniel, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very good. I just got a new job, so I'm very excited. You raking in the dough, buddy? Pulling that six-figure? Um, no, but I, it will be a lot better pay than I get right now, which I... It, dude, honestly, it's... God provided at the exact time that I needed this. That's excellent, man. Are you going to feel the the pinch of not having the Starbucks discount? Ooh. I don't buy coffee, and if I did, I wouldn't buy Starbucks coffee. Uh, as Whoa. far as like if I made coffee at home. Dude. So, That's okay, man. Where's the loyalty? Cool. Yeah, man? I don't think that it's it's not bad coffee. I just don't think it's the best. Um, and since I don't drink coffee enough, I don't buy it. His loyalty is not to Starbucks. His loyalty is to coffee. Near a word has been spoken more well than that than that word, including the word I just spoke. <laughs> Alex, I'd rather save my money and get a good coffee once a week than to buy coffee every day and it be Starbucks Ooh. quality. Honestly, I agree. I'd rather pay 2 to $3 more once a week than to go to Starbucks every day. Hey, how's Josh doing? Which is gonna, yeah. Which is gonna lead into our first, uh, our first topic for the morning. Josh, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> Man, well rested. <sighs> I'm sorry, I was late today, guys. Here's the thing, boys. <laughs> like every once in a while, in the middle of the night, your phone just turns off, and no matter, mm. it's gonna happen a couple times a year. I don't know why, dude. It's a manifestation of the curse, buddy. With that being said, I slept a little bit more last night. Mm. I also broke my toe yesterday. Oh, my pinky toe. That thing was at a 90-degree angle pointing out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Dude, that's not true. Daniel, a truer word has never been said. Did you take a photo of it? No, I didn't. Dude, as the kids say these days, pick or it didn't happen. It is my first broken bone. Dude, you know who also never had a broken bone? Jesus. Nikolai Carpathia. Oh, no, it was the opposite. He broke every bone in his body. All right, boys. Uh, Josh, how, how is life with a broken bone, man? Man, ugh. Dude, it was so fresh. It's been so frustrating because I'm not a guy to take things slowly, and I've been having to take things slowly. Mm. Dane, have you ever broken a bone? No, dude. I may have broken my finger, like in high school playing basketball, but I, I didn't know. My brother Zach has broken his ankle a couple times. The first time he did it, I picked him up. I picked him and my mom up from the hospital, and I turned on a song by the White Stripes. And that the name of that song is Bone Broke. <laughs> and Zach was like, seriously, dude? <laughs> and I just pulled out. Let's talk about sabbaticals. Yes. I kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on this. So let's throw it over to Josh first. Josh, you kind of submitted this one. 
let's get your uh, context and kind of why you submitted it. More and more, I'm hearing of pastors taking sabbaticals. That's just something we never did growing up. My understanding, basically, just pastors take several weeks off in a row, spend time with their family and come back. Is that how it works? Yeah, generally, it's built around like an idea. So it's like, okay. And sometimes it could be to write, take a sabbatical to study this. Like a church can be going through like a theological conundrum, so to say. They'll say, hey, take some time and just kind of work through this. One of, one of the other common ones could be family, like take some time for your family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just, a, it's a halting of like the normal responsibilities of the pastorate. Here's my question. Okay, man, let's say someone comes to you and they're like, oh man, I mean, I don't get any paid time off at my work. You get three weeks off to just go around and read books. That sounds fantastic. What do you, how do you respond? Mm-hmm. I would say that pastors work around usually around about 55 to 60 hours a week. And then when the hours are not working, they're on call or constantly thinking about the work that they have to do or the counseling session they just left or whatever. So, I mean, it's very easy for a pastor to spend almost every hour of his week either working or thinking about being consumed with, with his work. So, I would say that's not normal at all. And there's no way to alleviate. You just have to be on call 24/7. Like there's just no there's just no way to get rid of it. Like problems happen when you don't when you don't expect them. And because pastors are called in the midst of that to be a lot of different things and to do them very well, like articulate unclear points of doctrine, uh, give good counseling advice in the midst of like just really bad situations, be good parents, example, be, be exemplary in their, in their marriage, things like that. There's a lot at stake. You know, it's just, it's just, it would be really hard to try to write a book and be a pastor at the same time. So, you know, you take a few months off and, and work on that. So yeah, makes, that makes kinda, sense, man. Dan, what about you, buddy? Uh, I mean, I think Josh can definitely understand because we work retail. So for the last five or six years, I've been working weekends. I mean, Josh, I mean, I think we've talked about this before. It's taxing, man. For me, not, not, I can't even touch the amount of pressure that, that Josh has to go through as a husband and, and dad not being there in the time where most families are able to regain touch and to regain, you know, that time together. I don't think pastors have to, but it is almost a 24-7 type of job. You know, churches plan as best as they can, but whatever happens in people's lives is a little bit unplanned for. Here's what here's what I would really be interested in, and I think the church should consider uh, and want to invest more in, is giving their professors and their pastors, like, time to get away to write good theology. I think we would see more development in Christian theology if we could say, hey, go by yourself for a month and just study and write. Uh, I think it would be cool to see the church supporting more, especially men who want to go into ministry, uh, so they can give all of their efforts to their studies. Is an investment in someone who's going to invest in them very shortly. Piper wrote almost all of his books on sabbatical. Huh? You could legitimately ask a question like, would those books have been written if didn't get those sabbaticals? Like, I'm sure a couple of them would have been but I don't think he would have wrote the volume that he did. I just wonder where the church would be today if God hadn't worked so mightily through like desiring God. It's true, man. It's very hard to be like, I will not work for three weeks. Even if you still get paid for it, just feeling like I'm not doing what I need to be doing or what I'm good at or what I'm supposed to be doing. I think it's leadership. I think it's humility to step down for three or four weeks. And I think that's harder work than going to your office and preparing a sermon. Just to bring it full circle. It's not paid time off. 
Like it's not vacation. There, there isn't a New Testament prescription for sabbaticals. It just seems like a wise thing to do. We're not saying that this is something you should do or you're supposed to do. It just seems like this is a wise thing to do. Pastors can feel guilty about taking sabbaticals or whatever. Um, Christians and pastors mm. can also feel guilty about spending money and buying things. Dude, um, let's give Alex a raise, man. Like, that transition was so beautiful. Dude, that, you know, the longer you do these things, just the more in tune you kind of get with it. Mm. And <laughs> honestly, um, yeah, I am getting pretty good. So, there, you know... No. Let's give. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna double. I think we should double Alex's salary. You know what, man? That that just really kind of made my day right there. Here's the thing. You deserve it. You deserve it. Mm, I deserve that number, dude. I had I a guy. I had a guy buying a mattress, and I showed him two mattresses. One of them was a little bit more expensive, and he's trying to decide which one he wanted to buy. And he looks at me and he goes, "You know what? I work hard. I deserve it." Very good. That is very good. That's awesome. I love that, man. <laughs> Josh, when you put this topic on the, the chat, it rang a bell in my mind because, like, I always justify purchases with, dude, it was on sale. Dude, I had a coupon. Dude, I had this a gift was, card. This was, birth- this was birthday money. Yeah. Like, I got my tax money back. It's not a, I don't want people to think I'm spending so much money. It's literally like, I do not have money. So when I say that, it's because like, I was able to get something that I wouldn't usually be able to get. I think what we're talking about is Christians who are very wealthy and how they choose to to use that money. It can be a little bit conflicting. So like, for example, I know of a pastor recently who worked all his life and you know this guy is in his 50s now and the church wanted him to to not work anymore they wanted him to be the full-time pastor he he said i will do it if you can meet my salary standards i'm used to making this much and my family spends this much on these different things and there was this very big controversy because a lot of the people of the church were just normal lower middle class people and they were struggling because they were like, we don't want to pay him that much money. And a lot of people, it was because of a contrast issue where they were like, we work very hard and we don't make that much money. Why should we be giving the pastor that much money? Yeah. So you're talking about guys like pastors who are just making bank. Like, for instance, I saw a uh, I saw a job listing for a pastor here in Louisville, and they were offering to start at $110,000 a year. But it is a little bit confusing to go to church and you're like, man, my pastor drives the new Z7, you know, convertible. And here my family is in our 1994 Volkswagen. I think I think it really comes from a misunderstanding of the value of that role. This is the guy literally who is spending 60 plus hours a week making sure that like there's a judgment coming and come hell or high water you're gonna be with the sheep and not with the goats like i'm gonna make sure that you're with me among the saints on that last day and if we viewed if we viewed our our pastors more like that their their compensation i think any amount seems inadequate and then I think it's entirely an injustice when 
you're intentionally paying your pastor less because you feel like uh, since he's doing spiritual work, you know he can he can he can go around with making less money. What do you think about that? What do you think about that, Alex? I mean, it's gonna be hard for me to comment at all about this. Um, I'm just gonna feel awkward talking about it because we were talking about kind of my situation and everything. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think there is a word to be said for the the pastor's salary being comparable to the higher end spectrum of the church that they're pastoring. You know, you don't want to have just because it would it would make things easier. And me as a pastor, I wouldn't want there to be a, a big gap in those things. I think pastors tend to be underpaid. We're not talking about like mega church and stuff like that. We're talking about like normal churches. When you talk about there aren't like there aren't a ton of jobs that require their workers constantly improving and studying and going to conferences and taking classes and you know getting advanced degrees and churches get a lot out of their pastors or they should be anyway. I think they need to try to work to match what they're getting with compensation and, and make sure uh, that their needs are taken taken care of. Now, one thing that problematic, I think, and this hasn't at all happened to me, so I'm not trying to like tell my story through this, but like um, when churches kind of expect the pastor to like quote unquote live by faith, <laughs> yeah, I've seen this man bring up needs like, hey, if you need something, let us know and we'll help you. Your job doesn't tell you to do that. Like your job doesn't say, mm-hmm. um, "Hey, if your car breaks down, let us know and we'll we'll help you fix it." You know, your job pays you money so that you can manage your money, so that you can fix your problems. Like churches just need to be aware of that. With like pastors taking people out to lunch, pastors buying books, pastors doing all of these things um, that add up. I remember I was part. I was in a uh, church business meeting once. And we were going over different expenses and on the expense report was the salary of the pastors. And if my memory serves me correct, correctly, um, the youth pastor, his, his line for his salary, I think was $20,000. What? And that was, but that that was, that was, that was his full-time job. That was his full-time job. Yeah. And he had several kids. And, like, um, there was one member of the church who, like, raised his hand. Well, are we just hoping the rapture comes before a youth pastor retires? You know? Dude, that that youth pastor was probably extremely stressed out about money. There's no doubt. He's probably working a job on the side. Yeah, he was. So, but, uh, but kind of back to our original uh, topic. <laughs> yeah, we did. we have wandered to and Dude, fro. Dude, here's the thing, though. Now we, get, we got another topic in there, man. We got another topic in there. Praise, we praise God. Yeah. We absolutely did. Praise the Lord. Did. And and I think I think that kind of segues nicely into, you know, pastors feel awkward about their salaries. They feel awkward about the money they've gotten. And when they every they feel like every purchase they make is in the eyes of the congregation and therefore they feel guilty when they spend money on things. And therefore they try to justify it by saying, Hey, listen, I got a coupon in the mail. Listen, uh, someone gave me a gift card. But here's the thing, like, why should they? Like the the church knows what they're getting paid, right? But if it's if it's trans if it's translating into wow, the pastor gets to go eat at this place, people people start to wonder maybe we're paying them too much. I think it is very important to add that um, not only pastors should be modest with their money, but all Christians, as responsible citizens of the kingdom, should be modest with their money. Dude, I don't know if I agree. I don't think I agree with that. Okay, but when I say modest with your money, 
I mean, like, you don't have to justify that you bought a BMW. You don't have to justify that. But, like, to be flagrant with it, I think that that's, that's an attitude of, like, pride. Yeah, like, no. You can have a guy who buys a BMW. You can have two guys who buy the same car. And one of them does it to sh- with an attitude of, hey, look at me. Look at my car. Let me shove it down your throat. And the other guy just does it with, oh, I've got this little bit of extra money. I've already been wise with my money. I've already invested. I've already saved. And there's still a little bit left over. Oh, yeah, I'd like to get this car. This is a really cool car. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, the attitude yeah, is different. I agree with that. What I... But I don't think that that's something we should hold pastors to. I think that's a responsibility of all Christians. So, like, here, this is a trend that I have noticed. Like, if I, like, Alex's example of, like, a nice steakhouse or, like, uh, for instance, I just got, I I got a new computer last, last spring. Things like that. It seems like purchases like that in the Christian world, like, there has to be a subtext of, like, justifying it. And I don't think that that's right. I don't make that much money. But if I save up, and I can afford a new computer, then I don't think I have to have seven footnotes of, well, this situation happened, this situation happened, this situation happened, so I need a new computer. I should be able to feel like I can buy a new computer and people aren't wondering why I'm spending my money that way. Like, and and uh, perhaps, it's, perhaps it's like an error that I'm interpreting that's not actually there, but it definitely feels like in the Christian world that does exist. It absolutely does exist. I want. I, I just want to be careful that I that I really do think this before I say it. But I think it's semi gnostic, like it's an understanding that the spiritual is more important than the physical, which isn't true. Like the spiritual and the physical are inter- are intertwined in such a way that this computer I'm using is I'm I'm using it for kingdom work, and I got it so that I can do kingdom work better. To, or or even even you know Alex's example of going out to a nice steakhouse, like if I if I post a picture of me and my wife going out to a steakhouse on the Facebook, I shouldn't have to worry about people thinking, man, why are they going out to a steakhouse? You know, why didn't they give that money to their church or you know why didn't they do this or this or this with their money? It's like no, I just had a good time with my wife. Like I don't think that there should be a guilt complex within Christianity. Yeah. For things like that. Definitely. And like, and honestly, I don't think that for most Christians it comes to that. But I like there, there are patterns of, of immodesty when it comes to the way that people use their money. Patterns that I have fallen into myself. And so I'm not coming from a place where, oh, I see other people do this. Like, no, I've seen myself be immodest in the way that I use my money, be irresponsible in the way that I use my money. And that's not like when you read the parables of Christ, when Christ talks about money, that is not the way that God wants me to spend my money. So it's wrong. And honestly, that doesn't always look like buying nice things. That may just look like not saving money or not giving money to the church. You know, there's a lot of different forms of immodest use of money, you know. And I think what you're getting at, Josh, is like, it's almost impossible to judge people's use of money because we don't know. And I think and it's a very private family thing, you know? The mindset of Christians when they see someone else having nice things should be, I'm happy for them and not suspicion. It seems yes. like the first, the, first thing they, the first thing they have is suspicion and not joy. Like, this is a good gift from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him, and you're enjoying a good gift from Him right now. Let's all rejoice that they get to experience that. Yes. Uh, boys, good discussion. Um, always happy to to chew over these things with you. Throng, thank you for tuning in. Um, check us out uh, at The Exchange Pod on Twitter. And uh, for now, I'm going to say good night and good luck.